God wants you to know it's not out of control. El Elyon, God Most High, is still on His throne. And every facet, every detail of His eternal plan will and is being worked out. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part six of 70 Years and 70 Weeks. We'll examine the overview of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. You'll be reminded that after a week of tribulation on the planet, Messiah will come again. He will establish his earthly kingdom, and he will reign for a thousand years on this renewed planet. And he'll destroy the existing universe after that thousand years. He'll create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness is at home, and he will reign forever and ever. Who is this prophecy about? Well, let's find out as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. What is this prophecy about? Well, obviously, most people agree it has something to do with history, okay, the sweep of history. There are four primary interpretations of this prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks or Daniel's 77s. Let's look at these four interpretations, get the overview. There's, first of all, the interpretation of theological liberals. Theological liberals say that these are literal years that end with Antiochus Epiphanes, the guy we've been looking at who lived in the 160s, who died in the 160s B.C., 163 B.C. Now, why do they do that? This is the preferred view of those who don't believe Daniel wrote Daniel because of all the really accurate prophecies that we're going to look at in the remaining chapters. They say nobody could have predicted with that much detail beforehand. So it had to have been written afterwards. And so they put it afterwards, and so they make this about what happened before the book was written. Those who reject divine prophecy usually take this view. This view interprets the the sevens or the weeks as periods of time of seven years each or a total of 490 years. That's 70 times seven, 70 weeks or 70 units times seven years. According to this view, the word decree and in Hebrew, it's the word word, is Jeremiah's prophecy that was given in 605 B.C. It's a little hard to see Jeremiah's prophecy as being a decree, but that's how they take it. And the 490 years, in their view, ends with Antiochus' persecution when, when that ends, either when the temple was cleansed in 164 B.C. or at his death in 163 B.C. Now, there are several serious problems with this view. First of all, this prophecy says the kingdom of God is going to come after these things are completed, which obviously didn't happen. That would be like a big problem. That would be like the guy who wrote the book, 88 Reasons Jesus Must Come Back in 1988. When that didn't happen, the book became really cheap. You can get copies, trust me, for pennies. The kingdom of God was supposed to come. It didn't happen. Secondly, if you do the math, 
It just doesn't add up. It's not 490 years. It's about 425 years. So either Daniel was wrong or he really struggled with math. A third problem is a decree to rebuild Jerusalem naturally refers to the decree of a king, not the prophecy of Jeremiah, which, by the way, doesn't refer to the rebuilding of the city at all, which is exactly what this prophecy says, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. So this one just doesn't stand up. Let's look at the second view. The second view of this prophecy is the amillennial view. That is, those who do not believe that there will be a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth after his second coming. The amillennialists say that the 70 weeks here are symbolic periods of time that end around, that's key word, around the time of Christ's first coming, the incarnation. Typically, those who hold this view, and, and there obviously are variations, but typically it begins with Cyrus's decree that allowed the Jewish exiles to return to Israel, we just read about in Ezra chapter 1, which happened in 538 B.C. And they say it ends at some point after Christ's earthly ministry, but before, or some would say with, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So somewhere between the ending of Christ's ministry and 70 A.D., is where it ends. Now, again, there are several problems with this view. First of all, no normal hermeneutic would cause you to describe the number seven as an indefinite period of time. If you got a letter saying, I'm coming to visit you in seven days, you wouldn't say, that person's coming in 63 years. That's not a normal hermeneutic. Secondly, this view requires all of the goals, that lofty list of goals in verse 24, to be fulfilled with Christ's first coming, and as we will see as we work through them in coming weeks, it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't work. Thirdly, this view is extremely subjective because the periods of time marked out by the sevens vary greatly in length. There's no uniformity. It's like you can do whatever you want to with them. You can make them very short. You can stretch them out and make them very long. It's all subjective. And then another problem is this view teaches the destruction of the temple comes after the 70 weeks. But the prophecy says it comes after the 69th week, before the 70th week. That's a problem. So that view as we'll see as we go through it in detail, doesn't add up either. There's a third view, and I'll spend very little time here because it's, it's one that's out there, but it's, it's not as popular. This is the view of the commentator Kyle and others. It says the 70 weeks are symbolic periods of time that end not with the first coming of Christ, but with the second coming or around the second coming of Christ. Now, this really is a prophecy of church history, they would say, that for them includes both the Old and New Testament church. So it's a prophecy of church history. It begins with Cyrus's decree in 538 B.C. That's a familiar refrain. It lasts until the return of Christ at the end of this age. Now, typically, those who hold this interpretation say that the first sevens, did you notice verse 25? 
Gabriel breaks up the first 69 weeks into seven weeks and 62 weeks. They would say that first sevens, those are from Cyrus's decree until Christ's first coming, about 550 years. The next 62 sevens are from Christ to the time of the Antichrist at the end of the age, at least, obviously, 2,000 years. Now, in between that, they would say that during that time, during the time all of this is unfolding, now you've got to stay with me here, this is where it gets a little tricky, the city that's being rebuilt represents spiritual Jerusalem or the church, and it is being built in times of distress, i.e. the times we live in. And the expression, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, doesn't mean, as seems obvious, that it's his death. Rather, it means that by the end of this age, Christ will have no place as the Messiah in the minds of the people of the world. I hate to tell you, but that's already true. Now, the problems with this view are, it, again, is extremely subjective. No meaning to the times. You just sort of pick and choose as you want. It, in verse 25, and this is a huge one to me, in verse 25, this view changes from a literal hermeneutic, the literal building of the city of Jerusalem under Cyrus's decree, to a figurative hermeneutic in which the city is the church within the same verse for no exegetical reason. This view holds a very troubling view of the church, of church history in which Christ and his church will be defeated almost entirely during the last days. Now, I understand, you know, you have those statements of Christ that, you know, the love of many will grow cold, and if the Lord delayed his coming, would there be faith on the earth? I understand those passages, but you also have to put that in light of those passages that talk about the massive salvation of people during the tribulation period. So this view, as we walk through, I think you'll see doesn't hold water either. That brings us to the fourth view, and obviously I've been leading to it. It's the one that that our church holds, that I hold, and I think you'll understand why after we work our way through this passage. It's the premillennials view. And this view says that the 70 weeks are literal years that end with Christ's second coming. Now, this view teaches that there are literal, these are literal seven-year periods of time. You have 70 of them times seven units. That's 490 years. So you have a total period of 490 years. Now, the 70, in this view, the 70 weeks begin with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And, and I'm going to give you options as we go through the passage. I'll tell you which one I believe best represents the evidence and why. I'll, I'll defend it to you. But let me give you the options. These are, this is what's out there. Um, it begins with a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Either the decree made to Ezra, which is in year 558, or the decree to Nehemiah in 445. This view also takes seriously the fact that Gabriel divides the first 69 weeks into two groups, seven years and 62 weeks, verse 25. Now, the seven weeks of seven years, or 49 years, end with the completion of the work of either Ezra or Nehemiah. Again, depends on what starting date you choose, right? That's why I'm giving you the two options. And the 62 weeks of seven years, or 434 years, 
This second group of weeks extends from the end of the seven weeks to Christ's first coming. So it starts at the end of the first period of seven weeks of seven years and lasts until Christ's first coming. Now, depending on which starting date you choose, the 69th week ends either with Christ's baptism in 26 A.D. or Christ's triumphal entry in 33 A.D. Now, if you're doing the math going, that's too long a ministry, that's because there are two different views of when Christ died, the year 30 and the year 33. We'll talk a little bit about that when we get there, okay? Again, I'm giving you an overview, so don't, if you're going, ah, you lost me somewhere here, stay with me. It'll all make sense as we walk our way through it. I think it'll help you to see the trees if you first see the forest. Now, Gabriel, you say, well, what's going on with that final week, that 70th week? Well, this prophecy, Gabriel explicitly told Daniel, was decreed for your people and your holy city. In other words, it was about the Jewish people. But the Jewish people rejected their Messiah in the first century, and their rejection began a gap in this prophecy between the 69th week and the 70th week. There are several arguments for that, which I will share with you the next time we study this passage together. But right now, again, I'm just giving you an overview of this interpretation. It's as if God hit the pause button on his dealing with, dealings with Israel after the events of Christ's life and death and resurrection unfolded. However, as we saw in Romans 11, and as we'll see in Daniel's prophecy yet to come, at the end of the age, God will again initiate the fulfillment of his plan and purposes for Israel. And the 70th week, the final week of seven years in Daniel's prophecy will begin. And during that final week of seven years, there will be great tribulation for Israel and for the entire world. God will pour out his wrath on this planet, but at the same time, God will save a vast number of people during those years, including the vast majority of the Jewish people who survived the tribulation, as we saw in Romans 11. In fact, look at Romans 11 with me again. I just want to remind you, you remember Romans 11 describes this, this sort of pause button where you have God saying there has been this transition, verse 11 of chapter 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Speaking of the Jewish people, may it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. There's this, there's this transition that has happened to the Gentiles. But it's not going to stay that way. Go back to verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's the period of time that's going on right now. The Gentiles are being ministered to, and there's coming a time when the fullness of the Gentiles, the full number of Gentiles who are going to be saved, are saved. And then, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, a deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, understand then 
that God is going to again return to his plan for the nation. And at the end of the 70th week, after that week of tribulation on the planet, the great tribulation, Messiah will come, he will establish his earthly kingdom, and he will reign for a thousand years on this renewed planet. And he'll destroy the existing universe after that thousand years. He will create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness is at home, the text says, and he will reign forever and ever. That's an overview of this great prophecy, and we're going to look at it in more detail. But as we finish our time tonight, I want to step back and just draw some overarching lessons from this this prophecy of the 70 weeks. And I love these. I hope they'll be an encouragement to you as they have been to me as I've meditated on them this week. First of all, God never forgets his people, even in the middle of their darkest times. Verse 24, Gabriel says to Daniel, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. In spite of their sin, God had not forgotten his people, and he was still at work on their behalf. I don't know what your circumstances are. I know there are a lot of people in our church right now who are going through some very difficult times, hard, difficult, dark times. It can feel in those times like God has forgotten you. The the Psalms, the prophets are filled with those expressions. Lord, where are you? You need to remember this passage and remember that here here is the nation, God's people, in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And Gabriel says, God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't forgotten his promises. He hasn't forgotten you. Secondly, God always preserves his people, even in times of distress, as verse 25 puts it. God always preserves his people. The prophecy predicts that God's covenant people will continue to survive even through all of these changing times and seasons, through all of these incredible difficulties, and there's only one way to explain their continued existence. Frankly, there's only one way to, con- to explain the continued existence of the Jewish people. It's God's continuing preservation. And that's exactly what Gabriel says to Daniel. Dale Ralph Davis says this, both in the flow and sometimes in the fury of history, God keeps his people intact. Thirdly, God has a plan for human history, and it's perfectly on schedule. You know, Christian people can get pretty unsettled by the desperately wicked times we live in. Maybe you're one of them. You, you read the latest news headlines, and you just wonder, it feels like the world's coming apart. I have people tell me the world's coming apart. It's out of control. Daniel wants you to know, God wants you to know, it's not out of control. It's marching perfectly on his plan. El Elyon, God Most High, is still on his throne. And every facet, every detail of his eternal plan will and is being worked out. So relax. Trust God. He has a plan. This this prophecy reminds us. This prophecy marches from Daniel's time to the end of the age. And God says, this is how it's going to unfold. 
So just sit back and watch God do what he does. Number four, in Daniel 9, the victory of the Messiah is implied, and we'll see it as we, as we march through it. But in Daniel's other visions, Messiah's victory is declared openly and triumphantly. Look at it with me. Look back in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's vision, his dream. Look at chapter 2, verse 44. Here's Daniel's interpretation. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. That stone cut out of the mountain without hands is, as we will discover later in Daniel's prophecy, our Lord Jesus Christ, who crushes the kingdoms of this world. Turn over to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 25, the middle of verse 25, talking about the, the work of Antichrist, it says, he will even oppose the prince of princes, that's the Messiah, but he will be broken without human agency. There's again that picture of that stone cut out of the mountain without hands representing Christ who just crushes Antichrist and his kingdom. Turn over to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 11. I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. This is again Antichrist. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. Destroyed. Verse 13, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ taking control of the world, as we sang about earlier, and he will reign forever. Look at chapter 7, verse 26. The court will sit for judgment in response to Antichrist. God will hold court, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, and notice this, his, capital H, referring to the Messiah, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Christian, be encouraged. God hasn't forgotten you. In fact, he is preserving and sustaining you along with his people. And here's the good news. Our Lord wins. And so do you. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of 70 Years and 70 Weeks. Join us next time for part seven as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. And Tom, it's remarkable that the prophecy of Daniel will actually come to pass in the future, isn't it? It absolutely will come to pass. The very character of God depends on it. You know, it's interesting that in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul speaks of the eternal plan or the plan of the ages. That's really what God was working out when he sent Jesus at his first coming through his life, death, and resurrection. We see the amazing fulfillment of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament in the first coming of Jesus Christ. But God is not finished with his redemptive purpose. Christ is coming again. These events that we're studying in Daniel 9 will just as surely come to pass as all of those things that were prophesied about his first coming came to pass as well. This is our glorious future. Thanks, Tom. Church leadership can often seem like hazardous duty. Leaders can have both mountaintop experiences and seasons of discouragement. How can you, as a leader of Christ's church, faithfully respond to the different perspectives on leadership and the trials and triumphs of ministry? In Tom Pennington's book, Faithful Stewards, Tom identifies three key perspectives on church leadership that can help you maintain spiritual stability in ministry. Purchase your copy of Faithful Stewards today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.